0: Dear listeners, our podcast has been delayed as we mourn the earthquake in southeast Turkey. The pain of this great earthquake is still a wound in our hearts. Although we migrated to other countries, we grew up in this beautiful land. We lost the places where we admired their culturally eclectic structure and many of our relatives. We are still so sad about this disaster and what happened right after. If you want to support earthquake victims, you can check the links on our page for all kinds of donations and aid. Thank you for your understanding.
1: Welcome to the Horai podcast, where we explore the intertwined stories of music and history. We are your hosts, a historian and a musician. We hope you enjoy this journey through time. Many of this is owed to the landscape created through the union of a great river and a greater desert. The flora and fauna endemic to the geography makes their presence firm in the Egyptian pantheon with their gods, with their animal heads, and their works of art, and had highly influenced the technology and the subsistence methods of the people who lived in the region. For example, the famous paper type named Papyrus, made from the reeds of the river. Without the Nile, there is no Egypt, as we know it. Egypt is arguably the civilization wherein lies the strongest evidence for every river civilization, taking on the character of the river that begot it. We, as the Horai, put some thoughts into how the Egyptian belief in the afterlife may have come about. Maybe they believed that the soul was everlasting in the same way that the Nile was everlasting, in a space that had little to no water. Or maybe the soul was everlasting in the way that Egypt itself would be everlasting. Cocooned and protected by an endless fortress of sand, nurtured every day by the waters of the Nile, the land itself would never let the place die. Egypt, as it was then as it is now, is located in the Sahara Desert. The Nile River, which is located on the eastern end of the desert, fed the land as it does now which allowed this civilization to thrive in the harsh environment that it was based in. Similar to ancient Sumer, ancient Egypt also started out as small farming communities along the banks of the Nile and around the oases within the area not too far away from the river. Many elements we now associate with the earlier Egyptian culture was developed during this period called the pre-dynastic period and it became the hallmarks of its civilization. The Nile Delta the section of the river that branches out at the mouth and flows into the shoreline on the Mediterranean in the shape of a triangle and the letter Delta in the Greek alphabet, was the most fertile area of the river then, as it is now, due to the sediment the area collects and it is prime soil to start agricultural activity in. Despite the civilization being a land civilization instead of a seafaring one, Egypt did not endure as many invasions as the other land civilizations of its time. And the reason for this is most likely its location within the desert. Invasion or conquest through land was near impossible without proper road technology which is why the occasions in which Egypt was invaded was mostly through the sea and proved to be highly traumatic for the people who lived during the periods. Surrounded by two seas and fed by a river. Egypt remained the breadbasket of the Near East and the Mediterranean for many centuries since the dawn of its days. Much like other civilizations that rose in its time, Egypt was also built upon agriculture, as I have mentioned before, and the avenues it opened for it to develop as a complex society with many facets is owed, as I have said, to their subsistence method. Due to the annual flooding of the Nile, Egyptian soil remained one of the most fertile in the entire mediterranean and as mentioned earlier produced enough agricultural products to establish trade over considering these land management is a hallmark of the civilization as it is with all river-based civilizations the basis of egyptian agriculture was wheat for bread barley for beer linen for clothing and papyrus for paper bread and beer were staples of egyptian cuisine And there are many representations of it throughout Egyptian art, mainly in hieroglyphics. This is another similarity between ancient Sumer and ancient Egypt as river civilizations who subsisted on mainly wheat-made bread and barley-made beer. As mentioned earlier, the pre-dynastic period was seen to a decentralized Egypt made up of developed farming communities around the banks of the Nile and near oases that surrounded the region. Following this period, Egypt was characterized by two kingdoms of the Upper Egypt in the south and Lower Egypt in the north with two different administrative centers. As the start of the famous and artfully iconic pharaonic period, the two central kingdoms of Egypt were unified into one administrative center, and the head of this new monarchical state was declared pharaoh, hence the term pharaonic. Pharaonic structure was an absolute monarchy that carried the hallmarks of the system, such as the pharaoh as the absolute wielder of political power, and usually his status as head of the many different royal institutions, as tradition held, and the seat of power being the dwelling place of the monarch. Egyptian cities were located along the banks of the Nile, so travel between them was relatively easy as sailing up and down the river. This allowed easier access to metropolitan centers from farming centers, and the environment contributed to processes of centralization of different cities within the kingdom. Priests as a royal institution was one of the most powerful, holding power over rituals and over the education around Egyptian writing called the hieroglyphs. To briefly explain, hieroglyphics was a system of writing based on pictograms, And the education to read and write in the system was centralized through the priestly institutions. Different dynastic periods were seen to different levels of control around this educational institution, but in general this was the case.
0: Egypt had a hierarchical and patriarchal society similar to other developed civilizations of its time, and as mentioned earlier, society operated at different levels of rank and power as is expected from a civilization with monarchy. This strict stratification showed itself in all facets of life and was believed to be a part of how the world order was supposed to be according to Egyptian beliefs. While it is plausible to assume that many other languages were spoken in the land of Egypt due to the diversity of its people, the language of trade and administration as well as what was represented in their writing was the Egyptian language, similar to Sumerian language. It is possible that this is a language isolate, meaning that no other relatives of the language were known to be spoken then, but it can also be related to other languages of North Africa. Its sounds were represented as symbols, within hieroglyphics, rather than signs in cuneiform. Egypt had a polytheistic religion composed of many gods, and each god served a purpose or had an association. In this way, it was similar to all other societies in the wider region that the civilization was located in. However, one element of the Egyptian religion that is markedly different from all others was the systematized belief in the afterlife and cultural practices associated with this belief along with myths explaining the rules to the entry to after life and what a person might need there once they cross over egyptians practiced the process of mummification for their dead the practice likely started as a result of the dry and arid climate of the land this dry and arid climate could frequently result in natural mummification of deceased individuals as there is not enough moisture to maintain a faster decomposition process. Intentional mummification was a highly ritualized process and it was associated with the presence of several deities as well as other divine entities. Belief in the afterlife as practiced in Egypt could very well have influenced many other later religions that arose over time. Economically, Egypt maintained a border economy and engaged in trade within its borders and with its contemporaries from around the world. The Nile River made it much easier to travel between markets for trade within the land of Egypt and even for foreigners to come trade there as well. Egypt's biggest export to the world throughout its ancient history was its crops as a result of its fertile land. Music was a staple of Egyptian life in all levels of society and this is the evident from the archaeological record. The commonness of musical items throughout the archaeological record in Egypt suggests a long-lasting and rich musical tradition in all levels of their society. In addition to the unearthed instruments such as indigenous types of lyres, sistrums and drums found in Egypt, hieroglyphs and frescoes often depict the ever-presentness of music in people's lives and afterlives. Whether it is scenes of ritual, scenes of dancing, a symbol made in the image of an instrument, or a representation of the instrument itself, Music held a very high place. Ancient bells found throughout the Near East shows that metalwork was not only used for military purposes. The Bronze Age is the period when metal began to be used replacing stone tools. In this process, the use of stone in Egyptian daily life gradually decreased and metal objects began to take their place. As the usage area of the metal increased, its qualities began to change and new alloys emerged, obtained by striking metal objects together. New alloys have increased the quality and variety of metal idiophones. For this reason, metal idiophones which were produced in the Old Bronze Age and had better timber characteristics went down in history. Most of the symbols with handles found in cemeteries were deliberately broken before burial or severely damaged until they were rendered inoperable. This shows that musical instruments to be used in afterlife had enough importance to be destroyed if a tomb was to be intentionally desecrated. An idiophone type called sistrum, made with a detailed and fine craftsmanship and decorated with various game animals, pairs of horns and clover-shaped figures like in Egypt. In the limited technology of that period, the people worked for days, weeks and even months for the production of an idiophone. The fact that They spend most of their time producing an instrument is probably a very important value for them and an important part of their life. In both Mesopotamia and Egypt culture, there are examples of metal instruments which are bells, jingles, cymbals, rattles, horns-placked string instruments also known in stone carvings. Before we introduce the instruments of ancient Egypt, we need to make a small announcement. Unfortunately, due to reasons beyond our control, we couldn't find the sound of samples of every instrument which we mentioned in this episode. But surely, we will introduce some of the sounds that we found for you, with very short examples. Thank you for your understanding. Multi-instrumental music was a big part of Egyptian cultural life, and Egyptians took full advantage of their natural and sociopolitical location to create, import, or enhance instruments. What we know of instruments from ancient Egypt mostly comes from artistic representations such as hieroglyphs and figurines, and to a lesser degree from texts that mention those instruments. Ancient Egyptians had invented three types of string instruments, their own renditions of harp, lyre, and lute. The harp makes its earliest appearance in the art of Old Kingdom from the 4th dynasty. Depictions of the Egyptian harps appear in tombs. It is one of the most frequently represented instruments in art, which suggests that it was very popular among different classes in society. The harp was made in three main forms, ladle-shaped, boat-shaped, and crescent-shaped harp and they were either arched or angular in their build. According to Dushangima, the fundamental difference between arched and angular harps is that the first one is built from a single wooden piece, while the second one requires two. Here is the sound of harp. The lyre, or rather the design of the lyre, was important from the Near East during the Middle Kingdom. The oldest known artistic representation of Egyptian lyre is in the tomb of Numotep II, and interestingly, it is depicted as carried by a foreigner. Even though the lyre was attested from the Middle Kingdom, it became more commonly used from New Kingdom onwards, as indicated by the increase in attestations from the period The musician depicted in these artistic renditions is most often a woman except for one example found in Amarna, where multiple men are shown to be playing one lyre designed to be played by at least two people. Here is the sound of ancient Egyptian lyre. Lute was introduced to Egypt at the beginning of New Kingdom and it is thought to be important from the Near East. Based on the abundance of lute in artistic depictions throughout Egypt, the lute appears to have been very popular and a staple of Egyptian music in multiple different eras. Accompanying their string instruments, the Egyptians made use of several different types of wood bins. The main types of wood bins, as far as they could be differentiated, are the long flute, the double clarinet, and the simple or double oboe. And similar to their present-day counterparts, these instruments are separated by whether they are made with single or double reeds at their core. The oldest representation of a wind instrument is depicted on a mudstone palette of the pre-dynastic period. It is the long flute. It had a simple build of a single reed of a large diameter and a few holes in its lower part for notes. Following the pre-dynastic era in the old kingdom, this flute was further developed in its build and it started to appear as a main instrument in artistic depictions in tombs. There are no known depictions of women playing the long flute, therefore suggesting that it was likely used only by men during this period. By the Middle Kingdom, this instrument started to fade out of fashion. The double clarinet has been attested since the Old Kingdom from the reign of 5th dynasty. During this period, it was the most frequently represented wind instrument. It is a simple reed instrument with two parallel pipes tied together by string. The easiness of its build likely contributed to its frequent use and apparent popularity in Egyptian musical life. To get a sound of the instrument, the musician plays the same tune on both pipes, but since the whole spacing is not strictly parallel, the obtained note is slightly dissonant. The oboe, not to be confused with present-day oboe, appeared during the New Kingdom, similar to its present-day incarnation. It is a double reed instrument consisting of one or two long thin pipes, which separate starting from the mouth of the musician to form an acute angle. The way it was played as it appears in visual art is using one of the pipes. The other one giving a held note. This instrument mainly played by women during that period as understood by artistic depictions was preferred to other wind instruments during the New Kingdom period. With the arrival of Ptolemies, a new type of oboe appeared in Egypt, the Greek aulos. The trumpet was used in Egypt since the New Kingdom mainly in a military context similar to how the instrument was used in other cultures around the world. Not to be confused with the modern-day trumpet, it was not designed to have a piston. According to Manike, the Egyptian trumpet straight and short produced only the harmonic series of a note. It served especially for passing on orders of the instrumentalists, the one who speaks on the trumpet. In the tomb of Tutankhamun, two trumpets were discovered, one made of silver and the other one of them is copper. In the Ptolemaic and Roman periods, new instruments were introduced that enriched Egypt's repertoire of musical instruments, such as the penpipes by the Greeks and the invention of the hydraulic organ in Alexandria during the 3rd century BCE. The two main percussion instruments used by ancient Egypt were that the single-membrane drum mounted on a frame and the barrel-shaped drum with two membranes. In their research, Pissing and Kisev stated that the single-membrane drum is attested in the Old Kingdom in a scene carved in the temple of Nusera in Abu Ghraib. In 1975, Manike has said that the single-membrane drum is a very large-sized handheld drum used in many different occasions. In a new kingdom carving, a smaller-sized version of the drum, the round tambourine, appears as it was being played by women. A so-called rectangular tambourine, but of quadrangular shape, was also used by musicians, but only during the 18th dynasty. The barrel-shaped drum has been attested from the Middle Kingdom onwards, the instrument suspended around the neck of the musician was struck with the hands. According to the pictorial records from the New Kingdom, this instrument was depicted as being played exclusively by men, as there are no known representations of it being played by women. Moreover, Nubians, people who lived to the south of Egypt, are often represented playing the barrel drum in various contexts. Here is the short example of drum sound. The oldest known percussion instrument in the Nile Valley was the clapper, which is a type of percussion instrument known as the idiophone. Other types of idiophones include sistra, manate necklaces, cymbals, bells and rattles. As the oldest known percussion, they have been attested since pre-dynastic times in iconography as well as in the archaeological record. Clappers are made of two wooden or ivory sticks and they are played with the method of striking against one another and it is also possible to tie them together. These instruments were also ornamental and they were decorated with symbols that carried religious significance such as Hathor, the goddess of love represented as either human or animal headed, a hand, a humble papyrus or a lotus flower. Playing the idiophones requires special techniques of hand and foot movement that develop parallel to styles of dance in the Nile Valley. bells and quartails, small metal rattles, appeared among Egyptian instruments likely during Ptolemaic period. Sistra and the manet necklace were also used as percussion instruments. Sistrum, singular, and sistra plural was likely one of the most long-used instruments in Egyptian history with a time span that started from Old Kingdom all the way to the Roman period. It is a rattle-like instrument formed with a handle and a frame crossed by loose rods, sometimes embellished with metal disks and it was used in many contexts in many regions after egypt became a part of the roman empire here is the short example of ancient egyptian sistrum And the other important topic is musical notation. Musical notation is one of the most challenging subjects in the pursuit of historical music simply because there is no way to interpret it in the context that it belonged to. In the 1960s, Hans Hickman claimed to have discovered a system of musical notation based on music conducting as it related to hand and arm positions of musicians depicted in music scenes in hieroglyphs. While this idea seemed plausible when it first made it to academic discussion, questions surrounded today. In the research, Dominicus has stated that this body language around music conduction is not codified as it is today, so it is not possible to say what the meaning of any gesture is for certain. More recently, von Lieven suggested a system of musical notation indicated with dots and red crosses placed above a demotic text. Demotic being the form that Egyptian script took on during this period. Dated from the first or the second century BCE, these signs indicated punctuation marks meant to be played with percussion instruments. She based this interpretation on a ritual context, but this idea may be going too deep into speculation, because there is not much evidence from other texts that corroborates this rhythmic structure. Another interpretation for this document is that they are an aid for the priest in charge to show which parts of the music needs to be recited more loudly. It is interesting that even though Egypt developed one of the earliest writing systems in the world, it did not incorporate a musical notation system into it. Later cultures such as the Hellenistic and Roman cultures that settled in Egypt used musical notation in their writing systems, but Egyptian writing seemed to remain without it. In pharaonic society people could devote their lives completely to the study and performance of music and this inclusion extended into foreign musicians as well deities of music were part of the egyptian pantheon however the iconographic representations of gods related to music developed especially in greco-roman temples. Hathor, the deity most deeply associated with music, possessed an iconographic where she appears playing tambourine, sistrum, and menet necklace. Other gods associated with music such as meret, bes, and beset were represented with harps, lutes, and tambourines. If we talk about the musical specialties, Artistic depictions of musicians in Egypt do not reflect the entire range of musicians that appear in the written record. In the iconography, the types of musicians that appear are singers, harpists, players, players of lute, lyre, long flute, double clarinet, oboe, double oboe, trumpet and tambourine, as well as percussionists and rhythmists. The language also created another challenge as certain words for certain occupations came with its double meaning, such as the word for dancer and percussionist meaning the same thing in the same context. Similar to the military, groups of musicians playing for different functions were divided in a hierarchy and worked within a chain of command. They played in several types of spaces, public and private, inside the temple, the palace, during religious processions, military parades, during burials to maintain the funerary cult, or also during private festives. Access to these spaces determined the status of the artists and the music. Every musician had a different layer of society that they were allowed in and some had more flexibility than others. Singers, for example, would be allowed in almost all social spheres Whereas, if the musician played an instrument, they could be limited to a particular content or event, such as the military and royal context. Berman's research has stated that the trumpeter was the only musician to follow the sovereign to war while the royal escorts, drummer and rhythmists were also present. According to the context, music had different functions. For instance, in the temple ritual, it was used to gladden the god and to pacify him, whereas in a funerary context, it could help the rebirth of the dead. A few rural scenes also show singers and flutists entertaining the workers in the agricultural fields. To briefly talk about the training of musicians, in 1996, Matthew has started that the existence of hierarchical organization of the musician's profession raises the question of the training in their discipline. Although very rare, some documents allow us to assert that music schools existed and that some sort of institutional teaching was given within the court or the temples. In 2005, Emery has found that learning of music began within the family by comparing titles it is clear that it was not uncommon for numerous members of a lineage to all be musicians the musician status was marked by the titles and epithets they may have possessed as well as the musical items that they own and last but not least if they're able to be represented in art made by higher status individuals or mentioned by name and inscriptions most musicians did not possess a funeral chapel for themselves but likely a small monument or or object with their name such as Stella rock inscription statue textile or seals made in an official capacity. Gender also played a role in status of musician as women are greatly represented in art depicting musicians and it was possible for women of the royal family to practice music, according to Troy's research in 1986. The cult of Hathor devolved to queens and girls of royal blood. Pantesci and Singarelli in 2002 have started that the male musicians' social recognition seems superior to that of the female musicians because some male musicians possess their own tomb, which is a sign of royal favor. Thus, this privilege was not restricted to persons in charge of religious, administrative, political or military tasks. Most musicians in Egypt was dependent on an employer and many were employed by the palace or a temple and most of their names are unknown in present day as they could not afford to leave an epitaph or their monuments did not survive to the present day. Let's briefly talk about their clothing. As it appears in iconography, musicians did not have special clothing that represented them. The only distinguishing feature that they possessed was the instrument that they played. The only type musician to be given noticeably different clothing in the pictorial record are the ones of foreign origin. This suggests that the way the musicians were represented was not related about they played music, but more on the fact that they were foreign visitors. We have come to the end of our trip with the sound of the Nile River. We hope you enjoyed this brief visit to ancient Egypt as much as we have. These journeys that we have just started with you make us very excited. We hope our feelings are mutual. Wherever you are, we hope you're having a good day. We will see you next time. Bye bye. If you like to contact or to get more information about us, you can follow our visual storytelling page, The Horai, on Instagram. Cheers.